Good morning, good morning. Today is Friday, uh, June 11th, and we have, uh, we're starting the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll have chapters 1 through 4, Psalm 7, and of course we have video Ecclesiastes. And so let's take a deep breath and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for waking us up this morning, for filling our lungs with air, for giving us life. And Lord, help us to uh, just live that life out according to you, your word, your direction. And Lord, just give us wisdom and understanding as we read your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes dismantles our simplistic ideas about God in our lives by showing that death, chance, and the passage of time makes it possible to control life's outcomes. But this unpredictable nature of life actually opens up the way to wisdom and the fear of the Lord. All right, let's watch the video. The book of Ecclesiastes. It's part of the Bible's wisdom literature, and it opens with this line. The words of Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, in Hebrew, the word kohelet means someone who has gathered people together. And in this case, it's to learn, so it's often translated in English as teacher. And the teacher is said to be a son or a descendant of King David. And so there are different views about who this figure might have been. Many think that it refers to King Solomon, others to maybe one of the later kings of David's line, and still others think that it's actually a later Israelite teacher who has adopted a Solomon-like persona as a teaching aid. Whichever of these views is correct, the key thing is to recognize that the teacher is a character in the book and is different than the author of the book, who remains anonymous. So we do hear the teacher's voice for most of the book, but it's actually a different voice, the author, who introduces us to the teacher in the first sentence and then at the end concludes the book by summarizing and evaluating everything the teacher just said. So the author is someone who wants us to hear all that the teacher has to say and then help us process it and form our own conclusion. So what does the teacher have to say? Well, the author summarizes the teacher's basic message at the beginning and right at the end. And it's Hevel, Hevel. Everything is utterly Hevel. Now, most English Bibles translate this word Hevel as meaningless, but that doesn't quite capture the heart of the idea. In Hebrew, Hevel literally means vapor or smoke, and the teacher uses this word 38 times in the book as a metaphor to describe how life is, first of all, temporary or fleeting, like a wisp of smoke, but secondly, also how life is an enigma or a paradox. Like smoke, it appears solid, but when you try and grab onto it, there's nothing there. So there's so much beauty or goodness in the world, but just when you're enjoying it, tragedy strikes and it all seems to blow away. Or we all have a strong sense of justice, but all the time bad things happen to good people. So life is constantly, it's unpredictable, it's unstable, or in the teacher's words, like chasing after the wind. Hevel. Now that's kind of a downer. So why is he saying all of this? The author's basic goal is to target all of the ways that we try to build meaning and purpose in our lives apart from God. And he lets the teacher deconstruct these. So the author thinks we spend most of our time investing energy and emotion in things that ultimately have no lasting meaning or significance. And he lets the teacher give us a hard lesson in reality. 
You can see this most clearly in the opening and closing poems, which focus first of all on time and then on death. So the teacher says, you can spend your whole life working and achieving because you think that makes your life meaningful. You should really stop and consider the march of time. For all of the human effort that takes place in the world, nothing really ever changes. So sure, we develop technology and we build nations that rise and fall, but go climb a mountain and see if it cares. It was there long before any of us, and it will be here long after. I mean, no one's even going to remember you or anything you did a hundred years from now, but that mountain, it'll still be there. And the ocean will still be breaking on the beach, and the sun will still rise and set. And so time will eventually erase you and me and everything that we care about. And if that's not disheartening enough, the teacher also can't stop talking about death all the way through the book, but especially in this poem near the end. He says, death is the great equalizer, and it renders meaningless most of our daily activities. It devours the wise and the fool, the rich and the poor. No matter who you are, what you've done, good or bad, we're all going to die, and it's inescapable. So with these two ideas in hand, the teacher goes on to consider all the activities and false hopes that we invest our lives in to find meaning and significance, like wealth or career or social status or pleasure. So you think working hard is going to make life worth it? Think about the stress and the toll that that takes on you, all the anxiety and the sleepless nights. And by the time you actually earn some wealth, you're going to be too old to enjoy it anyway. And then by the time that you have to pass it on to someone, they may not even be someone who cares about anything that you did. Or maybe you think pleasure is going to make life worth it for you. Go for it. You know, live for your vacations. Live for the weekend party. Monday always comes. Hevel, hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. So what does the teacher advocate then? That we become pure hedonists or relativists? Well, no, that would be hevel too. The teacher acknowledges the ideas from Proverbs that living by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, that these have real advantages. On the whole, life will probably go better for you. See, but the problem is that even living by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, they're hevel too, because they don't guarantee a good life. Good people die tragically, and horrible people live long and prosper. There's just too many exceptions, and so even wisdom is a hevel. Again, not meaningless, but an enigma. Wisdom doesn't work the way you think it should all of the time. So what's the way forward in the midst of all this hevel? And here, paradoxically, the teacher discovers the key to the true enjoyment of life under the sun. It's accepting hevel. It's acknowledging that everything in your life is totally out of your control. About six different times at some of the bleakest moments in his monologue, the teacher talks about the gift of God, which is the enjoyment of simple, good things in life, like friendship or family, a good meal or a sunny day. You can't control these things. You're certainly not guaranteed them, but that's their beauty. When I come to adopt a posture of total trust in God, it frees me to simply enjoy my life as I actually experience it, not as I think it ought to be, because even my expectations about what life ought to be are ultimately hevel, hevel. Everything under the sun is utterly hevel. And so the teacher's words come to a close. Right here at the end, the author speaks up again, and he brings it all to a conclusion. He says, the teacher's words are very important for us to hear. He likens them to a shepherd's staff with a goad, a pointy 
end, which might hurt when it pokes you, but he says the teacher is trying to poke you to get you to move in the right direction towards greater wisdom. The author then warns us that you can actually take the teacher's words too far, and you could spend your whole life buried in books trying to answer life's existential puzzles. Don't try, he says. You'll never get there. And so instead, the author offers his own conclusion, and it's this. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of humans, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And so the author thinks it's good to let the teacher challenge your false hopes and remind you that time and death make most of life completely out of your control. But what gives life true meaning is the hope of God's judgment, the hope that one day God will clear away all of the hevel and bring true justice to our world. And it's that hope that should fuel a life of honesty and integrity before God, despite the fact that I remain puzzled by most of life's mysteries. And that's the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, let's get into it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Why, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and the hastens, it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south. It goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been had and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has all been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor, there, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much, is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure. What use is it? And I searched with my heart to know how to cheer my body with wine, and my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slave I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines to the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. When I Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Then wise, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said to in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity that this also is vanity. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no ending. For as the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and is striving after wind." I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. What has a man, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even the night of his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting only to give 
to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to plunk up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. (coughs) Excuse me. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or nothing can taken be taken or not or anything nor anything taken from it god has done it so that people fear before him that which is already has been that which is to be already has been and god seeks what has been driven away moreover i saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness And I I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4. Again I saw the oppressions. Again I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On one side of the oppressor there was power and there was no more there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the did who already and I thought the did who already died And I thought the did, who already did more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both 
is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has another, either either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes ne are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks for. For whom I am toiling and depriving myself of pleasure, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and, ha and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from his prison to the throne, though his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, of all whom he led, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Wow, let's move into a time of prayer. Meditate on Psalm 7, titled, In You Do I Take Refuge. It's a shigation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush of Benjamin. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friends with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the people be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God will feel indignation, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him a dead his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, clinging, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, 
and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do give thanks to you. You are certainly so righteous, Lord. We sing praise to you. We glorify you. And Lord, uh, unlike David, I don't ask that you judge me on my righteousness, Father, but that you would judge me on your righteousness, on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That righteousness that you have imputed to me, to us, Lord. What a blessing that you, we are not judged on our own righteousness or lack thereof, Lord, but on your righteousness. What an amazing gift you have given us, Lord. We can't even comprehend the value, the depth of that gift, Lord. I'm so thankful, Lord. Father, we know that in this life there are so many things that as Solomon said in your word, Lord, that it's, they're worthless, a waste of time. But, Lord, we know that you use us for your kingdom, for your eternal kingdom, Lord. And we know that has, it's not a waste, that there is everlasting value in that, Lord. And so, Lord, just help us to, to shift our eyes off. Certainly we're in this world and we have to eat and have shelter and those things, Lord. But help us to shift our focus onto your kingdom, onto your people, Lord. That Bringing people into your kingdom, your everlasting kingdom, Lord. Not about this physical life, Lord, but about eternal life. Put our focus on that, Father. Lord, we ask that you be with Trish, and thank you that you're healing her body, Lord, that we just ask that you would open up this uh, room at the rehab place for her, Lord, that uh, she would uh, have uh, a care, continued care for her as she heals, Lord, and as she, uh, we just ask that you would help her to uh, gain her strength to, to be able to walk again, Lord, and to be able to help take care of herself. Father, we just put this in your hands, and Lord, as Mark, his legs just seem to uh, be less and less effective for him. We just ask that you give them both wisdom and direction on how to proceed in the future, on uh, what kind of uh, living arrangements they need to have, Lord, that they can be taken care of. And uh, Lord, I ask that you give wisdom to... Uh, their children as well, to Jason, Jason and Desi and John, Lord, as they are here and try to uh, give some direction and some help for the future, Lord. So, Lord, we just ask that you would just put all these minds together, the love uh, in their hearts, and that you would give them just wise counsel and direction for, for the future, Lord. Father, just be with us today. Keep us safe. Watch over us. 
Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have a great day.